0: 2 Chronicles chapter 5 through 7 tonight as we work our way through the Bible. 2 Chronicles chapter 5. Again, if you need a Bible, raise your hand. We'll get you one. 2 Chronicles 5. So all the work that Solomon had done for the house of the Lord was finished. And Solomon brought in the things which his father David had dedicated the silver and the gold, and all the furnishings, and he put them in the treasury of the house of God. Let's pray. Lord, we just ask that you bless our time tonight, Lord, and those serving with youth and children's ministry, and Lord, that we can bring this message over the Internet, and we just ask your hand upon our hearts tonight, and Lord, do what you will through your word. In Jesus' name, amen. We'll say one more point, we're losing, uh, YouTube is banning our music, so they kicked us off several times just now, and uh, apparently that's been happening, so we're just getting everyone ready for, there is a time like Facebook Live when we only do the message, so uh, for whatever reason, YouTube is starting to ban uh, music. (laughs) Another reason why to come to church, Uh, there you go. 2 Chronicles 5, so all the work that Solomon had done for the house of the Lord, notice, was finished. It took about a seven-year period of time to get this whole temple built, and Solomon brought in the things which his father David had dedicated. Remember, David wasn't allowed to build the temple, but he was allowed to set those things aside, so when Solomon had finished it, it would be all ready. And so uh, all of the silver and the gold and all the furnishings were put into the treasuries of the house of the Lord. Now there is one thing that is missing. We talked about that last week and that is coming up next. Now Solomon assembled the elders of Israel, all the heads of the tribes, the chief fathers, the children of Israel in Jerusalem that they might bring the ark of the covenant of the Lord up from the city of David, which is Zion. Therefore, all the men of Israel assembled with the king at the feast, which was in the seventh month. And so all the elders of Israel came, and the Levites took up, which means bared, good, remember last time, not so good. Uh, Uzzah died, then a couple of months went by, and then David reread. He he realized, okay, we're going to carry it on poles like it was supposed to be in God's word. He passed that good information on to his son, King Solomon, And so they brought up the ark, the tabernacle of meeting and all the furnishings that were in the tabernacle and the priests and the Levites brought them up. And so verse six, King Solomon and all the congregation of Israel were assembled with him before the ark and there were sacrificing sheep and oxen and could not be counted uh, or the number for the multitude. And then the priests brought the ark of the covenant of the Lord to its place into the inner sanctuary of the temple, the most holy place under the wings of the cherub. For the cherub spread their wings over the place of the ark, and the cherub overshadowed the ark and its poles. The poles extended so that the ends of the poles of the ark could not be seen from the holy place in front of the inner sanctuary, but they could not be seen from the outside, and there they are to this day. So it would seem that, As they bring in the Ark of the Covenant to the most holy place, remember there's a veil on the other side, but as they bring it, they don't pull the poles out. They just leave them there uh, inside of the Holy of Holies. They put the the veil then, and then from that point on, when we're going to see God's glory fills the temple, no one else will be able to go in there except the high priest once a year to offer sacrifice for the nation, so no one else will be able to see that inner room. Nothing, verse 10, was in the ark except the two tablets which Moses put there in Horeb, when the Lord had made a covenant with the children of Israel when they had come out of Egypt. Now, at an earlier time in Israel's history, there were three items inside of the ark. There there was the golden pot of manna, Exodus 16 verse 33 tells us that, as well as Aaron's rod that budded, that was in Numbers 17, it tells us that. And then here as well, we see the tables of uh, the Ten Commandments, the two stone covenants. So where did the other two items go? No one else. Isn't that simple? Oh, I'm going to write a book about it. Why? If it's not here, why do it? Why search it? If God wanted us to know, won't he tell us? So in Solomon's day, by this time, the only thing that's in the ark are the two tablets of stone. And so it came to pass, verse 11, when the priest came out of the most holy place, for the priest who were present had sanctified themselves without keeping to their divisions and so it seems that this was just a one-time event where they were doing this all together and the Levites who were the singers all of those of Asaph and Heman and Jethuthun and the sons and their brethren stood at the end of the altar clothed in white linen having cymbals and stringed instruments and harps And with 120 priests sounding the trumpets, amazing what that would have sounded like or look, just look like. Indeed, it came to pass when the trumpeters and the singers were as one to make one sound to be heard in praising and thanking the Lord. And when they lifted up their voice with the trumpet and the cymbal and the instruments of music, they praised the Lord saying, he is good. Notice, for his mercy endures forever, that the house and the house of the Lord was filled with the cloud, so much so that the priest could not continue ministering because the cloud for the glory of the Lord filled this house. Now, so you've got these guys, everybody is there, they're sacrificing, they're singing, they're praising the Lord with one voice, and all of a sudden, the Shekinah glory of God fills the temple, and by that time, they're like, okay, quit, because nobody can do that, right? Because we're, we're in the presence of a holy God. The, the great thing about us on this side of the cross is now we can boldly come to the throne of grace. So now God calls us sons and daughters of the most high God. Now we can boldly come into his presence, where before in the Old Testament, again, it was a type and a picture, it was a shadow of that man could not just enter into the presence of God. Why? Because it was so holy, and uh, you can imagine a a gazillion-watt light bulb shining out of the temple. That takes us now into 6 and 7, where Solomon now will give this blessing to the temple for the people. Chapter 6, Then Solomon spoke, "'The Lord said he would dwell in the dark cloud, "'and I have surely built you an exalted house, "'a place for you to dwell forever.' "'And then the king turned around "'and he blessed the whole assembly of Israel "'while the assembly was standing. "'And he said, "'Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, "'who has fulfilled with his hands "'what he had spoke with his mouth to my father David.' And since the day that I brought my people out of Egypt, I have chosen no city of any tribe in which to build my house, that my people Israel. Yet I have chosen Jerusalem, that my name may, might be there, and I have chosen David to be over my people Israel. Now it was in the heart of my father David to build a temple for the name of the Lord God of Israel. But the Lord said to my father David, Whereas it was in your heart to build a temple for my name. You did well in what was in your heart. Now, we've gone through this before, but this is interesting because this is an added piece that it it says that David wanted to build the temple. We know that God said you can't build the temple because your hands are full of blood. You're a warrior. But I want you to note this one piece here. It says, "But what you had in your heart, David, was good." In fact, it blessed me that you wanted to do that. Sometimes God will not allow us to do certain things, but just the thought of that in our heart blesses the Lord. Anyone else be comforted by that? Like I may not be able to do what God uh, or had this plan, but at least he knows I come to him with a pure heart and a pure motive to bless the Lord. Remember, oh, my soul. Isn't that wonderful? Just to know that we may not be able to get to do everything that we ask, uh, but the Lord still is blessed. He said, you did well in that it was in your heart. Verse 9, nevertheless, you shall not build the temple, but your son who will come from your body, he shall build the temple for my name. And so the Lord has fulfilled his word, which he had spoken, And I have filled the position of my father David to sit on the throne of Israel, as the Lord promised. And I have built the temple for the name of the Lord God of Israel. And there I have put the ark in which is the covenant of the Lord, which he had made with the children of Israel. Now say what you will about Solomon, but I have to say this about him. And again, he is young still now. He loves the Lord, he is excited, but he did exactly what he was told to do, not only by his father, but the plans that God gave Solomon to build this temple. At least he did that. He followed what the Lord had told him to do. Verse 12, Then Solomon stood before the altar of the Lord in the presence of all the assembly of Israel, and he spread out his hands. Now, this is the position, as we'll see in a minute. He spreads out his hands like this. When we typically pray, what do we tell kids to do? <laughs> fold your hands because they don't, punch in each other, right? And some of you adults, you know, keep your hands. But we, we just do that. We close our eyes, we fold our hands, we bow our head. That's not the position inside of the Old Testament. That doesn't mean we're all going to change, and then Sunday we're all going to stand up and hit each other right over here, but this is the position of that, and we're gonna see in a minute that they're gonna fall down before the Lord as well because he is holy, and so Solomon stood before the altar of the Lord in the presence of the assembly, and he spread out his hands. For Solomon had made a bronze platform, six cubits long, six cubits wide, and three cubits high, and he set it in the midst of the court, and he stood on it. And he knelt down on his knees before the assembly of the Lord, and he spread out his hands towards heaven. So he built a stage so everyone could see him and hear him. So he was above them. And so he just simply now kneels down and puts his hands up to heaven. Verse 14 says, Now the Lord God of Israel, there is no God in heaven or on earth like you who keeps your covenant and your mercy with your servants, who walk before you with all of their heart. And you have kept what you've promised, your servant David, my father. And you have both spoken with your mouth and fulfilled what is in your hand this day. Therefore, the Lord God of Israel, now keep what you've promised to your servant David, and you've said to him, you shall not fail to have a man sit before me, on the throne of Israel. Only if your sons take heed to their way that they might walk in my law as you have walked before me. Now, we will not get very far until we get to, to the Bohem brothers, right? They're Jeroboam and Rehoboam, and we will have a civil war inside of Israel. It doesn't even get past Solomon before it breaks down. You know what's amazing? is that the United States of America is 200 plus years and most of the world uh, empires, that they fall apart right around the 200 year mark. So uh, it is amazing that we have lasted this long, uh, but they didn't even get into the 40 year mark when it comes to Israel and after David. And so that's all gonna break down, it's gonna go bad. And again, we learned that in the Kings, we will learn it a little bit as we go through the rest of Chronicles. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. 17, Now it, and now, O Lord God of Israel, let your word come true, which you have spoken to your servant David. But will God indeed, notice this question, I, I, I love Solomon's youngness here. He said, but will God indeed dwell with men on the earth? This is a wonderful question. He says, Behold, the heavens and the heavens of heavens cannot contain you, how much less this temple which I built. Solomon in his youth, in his innocence, he knows how big this God is that they are serving, that brought them out of Egypt, that have gone through the plagues and all those things that they went through in those 40 years in the wilderness, through the judges taking care of... Uh, <laughs> all of the ites in the land through David and now building this temple. And he is—he marvels that this God, the creator of the heavens and the earth, wants to live in that temple. Do you know what Paul calls us in Corinthians? Living temples. And now God dwells in you. If Solomon's, oh, I'm the only one who just had their mind blown. If Solomon had this house built for God that was gold inside and how marvelous, and now the Holy Spirit dwells inside of you and I, the creator of the heavens and the earth, isn't that, well, it's a mind blower. He says, how much less this temple which I have built, yet regard the prayer of your servant And his supplication, O Lord God, and listen to the cry of the prayer which your servant is praying before you, that your eyes may be open towards this temple day and night, towards the place where you said you would put your name, and that you may hear the prayer which your servant makes towards this place. I want you to hear what Solomon says over the, the rest of this chapter and the next chapter and how many times he is asking the Lord to hear the prayers of his people and why this temple has been created in the first place. He says, so open up your eyes and your ears. Notice that you may hear the supplications of your servant and your people Israel when they pray towards this place. Hear from heaven, your dwelling place. And when you hear, please forgive, we're going to see that it's a call to the nation in the next chapter to repent and turn from its wicked ways. And then God will hear from heaven. But we must communicate that. And what Solomon is saying is that we must pray towards this place. No, we don't do that because it's the New Testament and our, our Father is in heaven, the Son is there, but the Holy Spirit is inside of us. We don't need to be praying like this. But I want you to hear continually the heart of Solomon. And he says that at verse 21 at the end. Just, Lord, forgive. And if anyone sins against his neighbor and is forced to take an oath and comes and takes an oath before your altar in this temple then hear from heaven and act and judge your servants, bringing retribution on the wicked by bringing his way upon his own head and justifying the righteous by giving him according to his righteousness. Or if your people Israel are defeated before an enemy because they have sinned against you and they return and they confess your name and pray and make supplications before you In this temple, and then you hear from heaven and forgive their sin of your people Israel, and bring them back to the land which you gave them to their fathers. This is all going to happen. Remember, this is the Chronicler giving us what happened in that day. And at the end of Kings, they're taken captive into Babylon, but they do pray. Notice when your people are defeated before their enemy and when they have sinned against you and they confess God and pray, Solomon asks, please forgive them and let them have fellowship once again. And when the heavens, verse 26, are shut up and there is no rain because they have sinned against you and when they pray towards this place and confess your name and turn from their sin, Because you uh, afflict them, then hear in heaven and forgive the sin of your servant, your people Israel, that you might teach them the good way in which they should walk and send rain on the land which you have given to your people as an inheritance. I, I like 26 and 27 because, again, uh, no irrigation for the most part. There's no center pivot irrigations out there. They rely simply upon the rain. They are dry farmers. It is hard to be a dry farmer, that you are relying upon the weather. But did you see inside of that that God uses the rain to bring them to a place of repentance, uh, not rain? And so oftentimes God Uses certain events, not only in our own life, but in our nation's life, to bring the nation to a place of repentance. Guys, it is very possible that God uses uh, a leader or a law or something that is passed to get its people back to a place of repentance. Um, uh, without going on to a whole thing today, uh, I mean, we see Rover. Uh, roe v- versus wade in the 70s and we see that god allowed that to happen in our own own nation and yet but where is the real outrage for the last 50 years inside of the church i mean where is the real call to life where is the call to holiness and getting us back to that, that that's why i tell you this election is probably the easiest ever because there is a party for life and there's a party for death and that's it are you a one-issue uh, one voter? Yep. It's pretty simple. God says, choose life. That's what I'm going to do each time. But I love how God uses here. He uses the rain. How about this one? <laughs> You're going to love this one. <laughs> what about when there is famine in the land or there is the Wuhan virus? It says it right there. That's what pestilence means. You didn't know the Wuhan was in the Bible. Wuhan. Look, God allows famine to happen. The Dust Bowl. We've had all kinds. The potato famine with the, the Irish. All kinds of famine. All kinds of things have gone on on planet Earth. The Spanish flu. All kinds of different things. AIDS. All kinds of different pestilence. Notice when there is famine in the land, pestilence, or blight, or mildew, or grasshoppers, or locusts, and when their enemies besiege them in the land of their cities, wherever plague or whatever sickness there is, and whatever prayer or supplication is made by anyone or by all of your people Israel, when each one knows his own burden and his own grief, Notice he spreads out his hands to the temple. And again, he's surrendering to God. That is the universal Jesus says, man judges outwardly, but God judges the inward heart. And that you may fear, I'm sorry, that they may fear you to walk in your ways as long as they live in the land which you gave to their fathers. Moreover, concerning a foreigner, who is not of your people Israel, and who has come from a far country, notice, for the sake of your great name. This is not an immigration section. Don't even send letters. What is the context of it? Someone is coming from afar, and they hear of your great name, and your mighty hand, and your outstretched arm, and when they come and pray, notice, in this temple, that they're not Jews. Everybody got that? These are Gentiles. Then hear from heaven, from your dwelling place, and do according to all which the foreigner calls to you, that all the peoples of the earth may know your name and fear you, and do your people Israel, and that they may know that this temple which I have built is called by your name. Again, the temple was in Israel, and it was for the Jews, but it wasn't solely intended for the Jews. There was the, what was called the court of the Gentiles. It was this place that the foreigner could. Oh, he couldn't go any further than that but he could come to the court of the Gentiles. This is why Jesus got so angry. He had righteous anger because the Jews of Jesus' day turned the court of the Gentiles into a giant flea market. I know we know not a, nothing like that here, right? He, they turned the church into a place of merchandise, And that got Jesus angry because the temple was a place to come and to pray and seek God, and they were keeping the foreigner out. They were keeping the Gentile out, and so that's why Jesus got so angry and he turned over the tables uh, inside of the court of the Gentiles. Verse 34, and when your people go out to battle against your enemies, whoever you send them, And when they pray to you towards this city, which you have chosen and the temple which I have built in your name, then hear from heaven their prayer and their supplication and maintain their cause. And when they sin against you, (laughs) please underline this, highlight this, because God needed to put it in for everybody. For there is no one who does not sin. (laughs) And you become angry with them and deliver them to their enemy. And they take them captive to the land far and near. That's that's exactly what's going to happen at the end of Chronicles, the end of 2 Kings. Yet when they come to themselves, don't you love that? How many of you, well, you're sitting here because you have come to yourself. Thank you. That's one. Nobody else. Oh, I got, do I hear a three? All right. Isn't that great? At some point, you realize that you can come to your senses, that the Bible says, come now, let us reason with God. He is a reasonable God that we can sit down and we... This is not something that's unsearchable and unknowing. God can be known because he has his revealed word, and it just takes logic and common sense to know that we didn't come from a monkey or a rock? (laughs) I was talking to somebody uh, on Sunday, and I I was thinking this because someone else had mentioned this, and I thought it was kind of funny, and I just want to say it anyway because I'm trying to stretch out time. No. If we all came from monkeys, why are there still monkeys? (gasps) Oh, and this guy was talking about, don't you want to be around that campfire that night with a bunch of monkeys and Two or three of them said, you guys are a bunch of monkeys. We're evolving. Why didn't they st- stay that way? Why is there? Oh, I'm sorry. I-, I didn't mean to use logic. Oh, somebody will send a note from some evolutionist. I won't read it. <laughs> Notice, for there, uh, there is no one who does not sin. So they've been taken into the land, verse uh, 37. And when you come to to yourself in that land where they carried you captive, notice, and repent and make supplication to you in the land of their captivity, saying, notice, as a people, we have sinned and we have done wrong and we have committed wickedness. And when they return to you, remember, this is Solomon speaking to the Lord and to the people. And when they return to you with all of their heart, with all of their soul in the land of their captivity where they have been carried captive and pray towards their land which you gave to their fathers, the city which you have chosen and towards the temple which you have built in your name. Now, I think this is interesting because the chronicler is writing post-exilic. So now they are back in the land and can you imagine them reading this like, oh, that's us. This is us. This is where we are as a people, as the Jews. He says, I don't know what he says. (laughs) Where did I leave off? 39. Then hear from heaven your dwelling place, their prayer and their supplication. Maintain their cause and forgive your people who have sinned against you. Now, my God, I pray, let your eyes be open." Let your ears be attentive to the prayer made in this place. Now, therefore, arise, O Lord, to your resting place, you and the ark of your strength. And let your priest, O Lord God, be clothed with salvation and let your saints rejoice in goodness. O Lord God, do not turn away the face from your anointed. And that's, he's talking of himself, not of Messiah. Remember the mercies of your servant, David. No chapter break. Now, when Solomon had finished praying, now, he's done. Everybody got that? (laughs) And I just would love to see this video. Fire came down from heaven and consumed the burnt offering and the sacrifices and the glory of the Lord filled the temple. Fire came down, consumed, fully consumed the burnt offering, and now the glory of the Lord is in the temple. And the priest (laughs) could not enter the house of the Lord because the glory of the Lord had filled the house. Remember in the previous chapter we were talking about that gazillion watt light bulb shining out of the house of the Lord now. When all the children of Israel saw how the fire came down and the glory of the Lord was on the temple, you would do this too. You bowed their, they bowed their face to the pavement. That means they got as close as they could. And they worshiped, and they praised the Lord, saying, for he is good, for his mercy endures forever. You you really can't say a whole lot after that, can you? I mean, what's going on in front of you? And then the king and all the people offered sacrifices before the Lord and king Solomon offered a sacrifice of 22,000 bulls 125,000 sheep 100 yeah so that the king and all the people dedicated the house of God and the priests attended to their services and the levites also with their instruments of music of the Lord when the king when king David had made uh, to praise the Lord saying, for his mercy endures forever. And when, whenever David offered praise by their ministry, the priests sounded trumpets opposite them while all Israel stood. Now, David was a psalmist. So, David wrote the music for this. David's gone. And so, they are singing the Psalms. Very powerful what's going on. Furthermore, Solomon consecrated the middle of the court that was in front of the house of the Lord, for there he offered a burnt offering of the fat of the peace offering because of the bronze altar which Solomon had made, (laughs) notice, was not able to receive the burnt offering and the grain offering and the fat. They were sacrificing so many animals that the main huge... uh, um, altar, could not handle it up, so they had to bring out the small Weber grills. Anybody got that? They're like, roll them out, we got it, there's too much going on. And at that time, Solomon kept the feast seven days, and all Israel with him, in a very great assembly from the entrance of Hamath to the brook of Egypt. And on the eighth day, they held a sacred assembly for they observed the dedication of the altar seven days and the feast seven days. And on the 23rd day of the seventh month, he sent the people away to their tents, joyful and glad in heart, for the good that the Lord had done for David, for Solomon, and for his people Israel. These people had one huge barbecue for days and days and days. Oh. Just the sight of that brings a tear to a man's eye. Verse 11, thus Solomon did what? Finished the house of the Lord, the king's house. And Solomon successfully accomplished all that came into his heart to make in the house of the Lord and his own house. And then the Lord appeared to Solomon by night and said to him, I have heard your prayer and I have chosen this place for myself as a house of sacrifice. Now, it says the Lord appeared to him. We don't know how he appeared or what he appeared or what he saw or did he just hear, or was it another Christophany or theophany, which is Jesus showing himself before Bethlehem. Could very well be. Abraham had a great conversation with Jesus. In fact, Jesus said that. And then the religious leader said, you're not even 50. How, is the, how in the world could you have had a conversation with Abraham? And, uh, I mean, if I was Jesus, and aren't we glad we're, I'm not, I'd be like, you, well, he'll tell you. And then, well, by the way, he won't because you won't be where he is. They had rejected Jesus. He says in verse 13, when I shut up heaven and there is no rain, or command the locusts to devour the land, or notice, send pestilence among my people. God allows these events to happen. 2 Chronicles verse 7, or uh, chapter 7, verse 14, very famous, Underline, highlight, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face, and turn from their wicked ways. And then I will hear from heaven, and I will forgive their sin, and I will heal their land. It is very basic. I want you to note something there in verse 14, a couple of things, but notice that they would humble themselves. What does that tell you? That the nation has a pride problem. Overwhelmingly, the problem is pride. What is the problem we have in our own nation? There are so many people who say, I don't need God. It's just a figment of your imagination. I'm, I'll do fine with without God in my life. Excuse me. And so most of the time, God needs to break that down, break that proud person down and humble themselves. Jesus said, if you will humble yourself in the sight of the Lord, he will lift you up. So you humble them, uh, 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 I'm sorry, God says, if you humble yourself and you pray, and you do what next? And you seek my face. That means we don't seek the world, we don't seek ourselves. we are seeking what God would have. And we turn from our wicked ways. Listen, this is a prayer that is still at a time, Negative Nancy, yeah, so those of you Nancy will have to send me a letter now too, and we'll have to keep coming up with names, but listen, I I don't see the nation humbling themselves in the sight of the Lord and repenting on Facebook and YouTube and Twitter, well, they don't get banned by Twitter anyway. You don't see that as a nation wanting to. Oh, every once in a while, there is a call, and God uses notice the last two verses to get the nation's attention. When I allow pestilence or no rain or things to happen upon your land, it is a motivator. Guys, I believe 9-11 was a motivator. I believe that Pearl Harbor was a motivator. The, The Civil War, which wasn't very civil, that was a motivator. Things in our history is a motivator. God is trying to get the nation's attention. He allowed the Wuhan to come in to get the nation's attention. He allows even draconian measures of states to get people's attention and say, did you like church before? because you can't go to church in California or sing or have worship music on YouTube, it gets our attention. Oh, well, it should. It should spur. There should be no problem right now. I don't know why every church in California is not knocking on the governor's $10 million home in California. Anyone else get to live like that in California? Why is there not outrage? And because there is not outrage from a massive scale, then they continue to do what they do. That's why voting is so important. And God allows us to say, okay, would you like that? Would you like to continue to meet together in a church? Well, then vote differently. I I am having a real problem lately with pastors online. I've got to stop listening and reading the threads that are out there. I'm a part of several senior pastor threads, and I cannot stand the nonsense that's out there. Uh, they, the, the refusal to stand up against tyranny and think that, well, it'll just all work out. Well, God gave us the ability to do what we do in this nation. This isn't France. Amen? And if you don't like this nation, go to France where there are policies against First Amendment, Second Amendment, and you can then live in a Muslim ghetto. How about that? Well, we don't have that in this nation. We the people. So therefore, when we see something awry, or God allows something to get our attention, hey, U.S., the church, you like meeting together? Yeah? We'll knock off the tomfoolery and get organized. Does that mean we're uh, I am not advocating any by, uh, by any means violence. But if we would just stand up as a people and as the church and say, "Yeah, we're not going to do that anymore." Myrtle Beach city just extended their mask ordinance again. Where is the outrage? Uh, the county is about to expire theirs, thankfully, because a lot of people went to the county and said, prove to us that your facts are right because it's not right. And yet, here we go, Myrtle Beach. Well, maybe they need to not be in office next time. Where is the outrage? Again, God allows us. <sighs> if, he would seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will heal or hear from heaven, and I will forgive their sin. Please note with me the end of that, it heal the land. This nation, I know that it may seem that it's too far gone, but this is a promise from God. If the churches would just get together and pray, if they would repent from voting for people that are against life, just one item, we would have a different Congress. We would have a different Senate. We would have a different school board. We would have a different county administrators. Just one topic of life. But people just don't want to go out and vote. I, I recently posted on my personal, because I can't do it on the church thinks a lot, U.S. government. But on my personal account, I did the early voting, you know. I went out there and uh, did it at the Carolina Forest Library. Anybody else do that? All right, woohoo! Uh, those lines have been long every single day for the last two weeks. Drive by it in the morning, long every day. I happen to just jump in there at the end and uh, was able to just kind of get right in in about a half an hour. But they're talking about times on uh, November 3rd, on voting day, up to six hours in our own county. There, there are plenty of people that, that want to see a, a healed land. And so, verse 15. Now my eyes will be open and my ears attentive to the prayer made in this place. Now I have chosen and sanctified this house that my name may be there forever and my eyes and my ears and my heart will be there perpetually. This is God saying this to Solomon. And as for you, please note with me, if you walk before me as your father David walked and do according to all that I have commanded and if you keep my statutes and my judgments then I will establish the throne of your kingdom as a covenant that I made with David, your father, saying you shall not fail to have a man as ruler over Israel. One thing that we noticed when we went through the book of Kings, First and Second Kings, that we will see this as well. When you have all of the other kings, it will say, and then they walked in the ways of their father, David. Well, this is the Lord saying David was the example. Now, anybody, would you use David as the example I wouldn't. A lot of shady shady things by David. Killed people, adultery, terrible father. And yet, a man after God's own heart, it says. Because he repented and he turned from his ways. And so God uses that as the measuring stick to the rest of the kings. He says... Then I will establish the throne of your kingdom as I I made a covenant with your father David that you shall not uh, fail to have a man rule in Israel. But if you turn away and forsake my statutes and my commandments which I have set before you and go and serve other gods and worship them, then I will uproot them from my land which I have given them and this house, which I have sanctified for my name, I will cast out of my sight, and I will make, it, make them a proverb and a byword among all the people. And we'll see that in a second. Please note with me, he says, If you do this, if you turn away and forsake the statutes and the commandments, then I will uproot you from the land which I have given you. Listen, I, I've made this parallel a ton here the United States of America and the nation of Israel are very closely aligned in how they were established and what God did through both of those nations. And I think that when we go down this path like Israel did, we too can be uprooted. And we have this pride in America that think, that'll never happen in these United States, the amber waves of grain, purple mountains, red glare, or whatever was acting like one of the candidates. What state am I in? I mean, you'll get that on the way home. Tip your waitresses. It's free this week. Listen, we can be a people that forget God, and God can uproot us, and he can pull that away from us because of our pride. It'll never happen here. How many of you in December, just because you were sitting in, it was after Christmas, and you thought, you know what? I live in the United States of America. I bet you I bet you we will always have church services. It'll never happen in the United States of America. They never close the churches. 3 months later churches are closed. You see, we can be very arrogant in our pride as Americans. We need to humble ourselves. And, and listen, judgment starts in the house of the Lord. This is where it starts. Verse 21, and as for this house, which is exalted, everyone who passes by will be astonished and say, why has the Lord done this to this land and to this house? So when when it's all broken down and Nebuchadnezzar has destroyed it and there is a ruin of a temple and people would walk by and go, Wow, that was that great King Solomon's temple. Why did God do that? Listen, that used to be Washington, D.C. with all of its monuments. used to be great. It's no more. We could have the same fate as Israel. God's hand was behind Israel. God's hand is behind this nation. But at some point, he may need to remove it. Lastly, verse 22, and then they will answer because they forsook the Lord God of their fathers who brought them out of the land of Egypt and embraced other gods and worshiped them and served them. Therefore, he has brought all this calamity upon them. Guys, we could say the same thing because they forsake the Lord their God of their fathers who brought them out of the land of England and Europe. And then they went after Eastern mysticism and other gods and oh, universities that swayed their minds. I, I tell you, we are under assault in this nation, but it's not now. It started way back in the 60s. Uh, Mike and I's roundtable chat, we were talking about how Uh, The communist uh, manifesto was very easy. They went after pastors. They went into theological seminaries. They went into the colleges, which didn't take a whole lot of work to get into there. They went into the school systems, and they went into government, and they knew it was a long-term battle, and now we're reaping the exact consequences of that. Do you know that there were some ex-KGB guys that came over in the 60s and then later on in the 80s and told our government at Senate hearings all of what the, the, the Soviet Union was doing and no one listened to them? No one, oh, you, 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 there, There's no way they're in the seminaries. There's no way there's these guys in the universities. And yet, that's exactly what it is. That verse, verse 22... Speaks of our own nation as well. We're on the cusp of that. Notice how they embraced other gods. And they worshiped them and they served them. Therefore, he has brought all of this calamity upon them. We are due judgment simply because of the amount of abortions in this nation. We'll do everything that we deserve. And the church, because it didn't stand up, is in the position that it's in. You have a church that is filled with apathy. You have a church that does not have any power anymore. And listen, young people are fleeing from the church faster than anything. Because they know what is, well, they know when they hear truth and when they don't hear truth. When they hear power and when they don't hear power. There are so many people. I just spoke to somebody today uh, about this that a poll was being done. How many young kids today are excited about conservative ideas? And that these kids are less pro life or pro choice than the pro. That's us. What will we do, church? Will we pray? On Monday, will we get together and pray and lift our hands to heaven and cry out to the Lord? Or will we continue to hear the train cars go by the track? And if you don't know that reference, that's Germany in the 1930s. That the churches knew what was going on and they did nothing. Where is your line? When will you stand up? When will you go be and participate with a candidate that needs your help? There's a fight going on down in the 1st District down in Charleston. People need support. They need help. They need good, godly people in school boards and as police officers and as firefighters and, yes, in county council and Myrtle Beach City Council. If my, nation, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and repent, God could still heal, heal this land. Now, the good news is no matter what happens at the end of the day, the church still goes home to be with Christ, and that's great. But I don't know that that's right now either. And neither does anybody else. And that's the problem with someone saying, well, I don't really care how I vote because one way or the other, I'm going home. Yeah, but it, what are you going to do if it's 100 years from now and you just left that to the generation, the next generation? That's a terrible thought to think. But amen, the United States of America, we have the right to kick them out or vote them in. and That's biblical. God says, choose this day who you will serve. Will will we be serving (laughs) at the table of government, of socialism, of our intellect, or will we allow God to direct our path and pray and protect the unborn life? Um, I saw something recently. I'm ending with this. You know, there's a whole thing about BLM in this country. And now there's a movement about black babies' lives matter. But they don't like that. Do you know why? Because the highest abortion rate is in the black community. So you really care about black lives matter? Well, what about the black babies' lives matter? All lives matter. Therefore, B. For life. Choose life. You'll never go wrong with choose life. Amen? Amen. So when I'm elected president, I'm sorry. No, go Lord, no. Let's pray. Let's get out of here. Father, thank you for this night. Lord, for your word, how powerful it is for King Solomon. Lord, for his examples. Lord, in the beginning that he started well, but he didn't finish well. David, who had so many failures, and yet a man after God's own heart, it says. That blows our mind. Your grace and your mercy upon individuals, upon nations who will just repent and turn. Thank you, Jesus, that you died on the cross for us, to give us life and that more abundantly, and that, Lord, you are coming soon. But we don't know when the day is. And so, Lord, that we would be ready, but we would occupy till we come. Thank you, Lord, that we live in the United States of America that is still currently free and that we have the ability to vote. And so, Lord, help us as we vote to vote godly principles. We love you, Lord, and we thank you. Thank you for our time tonight and those watching us online and listening on the radio. In Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand. We'll worship this last song. Remember to fall back.